evening. I want to thank you for coming tonight, for being a part of this special service where we are about to ordain a man to begin serving as a deacon in our church. Ordination is a very special time in the life of a man where uh, he has felt a sense of God's call, and the church is confirming that call by the laying on of hands. And so uh, we get to be a part of that this evening. This process began when this past summer we received nominations for men to serve as deacons of our church. And those nominations were uh, given to the Deacon Nomination Review Committee, and those individuals took time to meet with each man and his wife and ask them questions and explore uh, this possibility of their service. After that is completed, their names were presented to the church in our quarterly business meeting, and we voted and approved those men for service. Among those men was Gary Kuntz. Uh, and Gary, this would be his first time to serve as a deacon, and so we are having an ordination service uh, for that reason tonight. We're going to do several things this evening. If you've never been part of an ordination service, uh, we're going to give Gary as our candidate uh, for this exercise. We're going to allow him to come, ask him to come in just a second, and share his testimony of how God saved him and how God has worked in his life. And so he's going to come and do that. After that, uh, Dr. George Connor, who is chairman of the deacons, and also served as chair of our ordination council this afternoon, will come and bring a report of that meeting, as well as some other remarks that God has laid on his heart. And at that point, I'll come back and I'll guide us through the remainder of the service. So at this point, would you give your attention to Gary Kuntz? Gary, would you come and would you share with us? First of all, I apologize for I'm not a good speaker. But I'm just going to tell you a little bit about myself and my story that I, that I have, how I come to know the Lord. I grew up in a rural town in Arkansas called Old Arkansas. Grew up as a Methodist. My parents were Methodist, and of course, you know, that's where I went. The Methodists uh, believe a little different than, than the Baptists. Uh, they believe that if you're baptized at birth, that's the, the baptizing uh, will, it will take you through your life. But when I was in grade school, probably fourth, fifth grade, I don't remember the exact year, I remember being at church and uh, feeling the calling to go to the Lord. And being young childs like that, we, we went down, or I went down and said, I want to be Lord with the Lord. I want him to guide me. And of course, with the Methodists, you know, that's, you know, they say, good, that's it. And I just felt a little bit of a, like something was missing. And we'll get to that story in just a moment. Um, but God's been with me many times in my life. He started right then being with me, and I knew it. I know when, uh, in 1968, um, I was home after school, between school and going into the service. I was taking care of my mother there for a few days, and she developed an aneurysm. 
and she died twice in one day. She was 54 years old. Going to the Lord in prayer, praying for her. You could have drawn a line right down her face through her body. Left hand couldn't move. The left leg couldn't move. The left part of her lips couldn't move. She was totally paralyzed in the half. They took her down to the doctors in Little Rock. She stayed down there for a week. They sent her back home. Said she was making progress. And she had a little relapse. And then to shorten it all down, you know, they did not do surgery and they just kept saying she's a miracle lady. And mother was 54 then. And um, the day she died, January 1st, 2011. If you didn't know her, you didn't ever think she had ever had a problem of any kind. And so you know, God blessed us. Several times in our married life, you know, Sharon and I have been married 44 years. Just like anybody else, they're not all the bed of roses. <laughs> We've had some rough times. Thank you for staying with me. Then in 1999, early, late 1999, early 2000, Sharon and I came to Wynn Baptist Church. And we decided to join the church. At that time, they said, you know, you'll have to be baptized. I said, no problem there. No problem at all. When I was baptized, man, the Spirit of God filled me so big. That's what I was missing as Methodist. And I appreciate y'all for that. God was with me again in 2007. Here it was that my grandson diagnosed with leukemia. Came, got the phone call and said, Here it has leukemia. Well, of course, that's shattering to us because. Back then, I didn't know anything about leukemia, and I just thought my grandsons did. But God has a way of talking to us. We went over there, and we was there for a while, and all of a sudden, they told me, he said, you gotta go back home, Sharon and Michelle. Boy, you're talking about tearing me up, it did. I came back home and said, God, why can't I be over there? God told me, said, you got a job to do, but I'm in control. He said, think about the situation that you've had. I got to thinking back over the whole story. And uh, Garrett was diagnosed with leukemia because he was in Calvary Christian. And the director down there said, you know, next time, told Michelle, said, next time you have Garrett, Go to the doctor, have him checked to be anemic. So he had a cold about a week later. Took him to the doctor and said, while we're here, doc, would you check him to be anemic? They found leukemia. Within 30 minutes, he was on his way to St. Jude's. 
we get to St. Jude's, and I was sitting there thinking, you know, I don't know what it's going to cost, but you know, whatever it costs, we're going to take care of it. St. Jude says, you're going to cost you a penny. I thought, well, just give us a good doctor. Not only we had a good doctor, we got the number one doctor in the world. So when I was back home asking God, he said, think I've got control. <laughs> he did. I just feel so humbled by being up here. And I thank y'all for this church. I've got a little scripture here that I read. And I think it applies to everybody. It says, for I know the plans I have declared for you, said the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you the future and the hope. And will call upon you to come and pray with me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. So we need to seek God with all of our heart. He'll be there with us. Thank you. I've been given the charge to give Gary a charge, but mine is going to be really directed against, directed against, directed at all the ordained men, all the deacons of the church. Um, first, before I forget it, the ordination council overwhelmingly um, recommends Gary to be ordained as a deacon, and uh, we had no hesitation in that. Uh, we gave him a lot of questions, uh, and he gave us a lot of answers, and they were, the, they were the answers that we, by the scripture, desired to hear from him, and, and uh, we appreciate his volunteering to serve with us as a deacon. If you would, open your Bible. I'm, I'm going to give him a charge. We're going to look at the scripture, and, and I think it's appropriate, or very appropriate at this time, to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 starting with verse 8, and I know some of you guys probably have this about memorized, um, but I still think it is good to go over it. And I'm going to add little bits and pieces as we go through this, uh, trying to make it maybe a little bit more enlightened and, and uh, describe the words maybe a little bit more fully that are found in the Greek. So in verse 8, it starts and says, Deacons, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, by the way. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Uh, and that word dignity in the Bible is real simple. It, it means dignity, but it means honor, honorable. They must be honorable men. Um, these are qualifications for the office of deacon. Uh, they're not things that we hope that we have, and, and yet we don't expect that we're perfect at it. Uh, we're not perfect at anything in life, and we're all capable of, of 
falling, but this is where we should live and this is who we should be known as in the church, as deacons, as ordained men. We must be honorable. Not double-tongued. The Greek word for that's dialogos, which means two-worded, which means we shouldn't tell one group because we think they want to hear one story, that story, and tell another group another version because we think they want to hear that. But that we should speak the truth. We should speak it in love, but we should speak accurately in the truth and not be falling to one side or the other based on who we're with. It says, or addicted to much wine. Being Baptist, we have no trouble with that. We abstain. We agree to abstain. Um, and it says, or fond of sordid gain. And this is a little bit more difficult in a sense in the, in the scripture for me to, I, I sort of see what it's saying, but it, it, it can mean greedy. Some translations say greedy of money. But when you look at the Greek words, probably to me the more exact is desire dishonorable gain, uh, which means getting money from dishonorable means, um, being cheat, being, getting it from immoral means. Uh, desiring money and being willing to do anything to get it is really what it's saying. It says, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, when I study that, the mystery of the faith is what Paul says a lot of times for uh, his description of that Christ was previously hidden in the scriptures to the Jews, but now he was revealed. And so the mystery of the faith to, to Paul was was the previously hidden but now revealed Christ. Uh, that, that we must hold to that mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, meaning that the resolve in us is that we know this is true. We know him. We know it's true. Uh, there's no double-mindedness in this, and there's nothing inside of us that's hesitant about this. We know him. We know that he has come and that he has died and that he is the Savior of the world. Then it says in verse 10, and let these first be tested. And this is a command us that we're supposed to test them as a church. Test anyone who desires to be a deacon. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And that beyond reproach means that they're unaccused, that we can't bring an accusation before them. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean at all that. Uh, but it means that they live their life in such a way as to be blameless, to, to live so that nothing can be called into account against them. Uh, this is who we should be. Then it goes on and says, women or their wives must likewise be dignified, be honorable. Same word is used at the, as the deacon as, as at the, at the, in verse 8. And it says, and not malicious gossips. <clears throat> and this is a very serious word. Actually, the, the word here that says not malicious gossips or, not, or malicious gossips is the word that sometimes in the scripture is used for Satan, it's diabolos. And it means that uh, to be a false accuser, that the wives should not be false accusers, uh, that they can't be slanderers, they can't be malicious gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. Let the deacon be husband of only one wife. And we know in the Greek that technically that actually says be a one woman man. You know, and there's a lot of argument in churches about what that actually means. We, we, as a church, hold to that it's one wife, but it really means one woman man. Uh, in that day, there were multiple marriages that had, you know, a man would have four or five wives, and they did not want that in the church. And, and um, they, they felt that anyone who had the office of deacon needed to be the husband of only one wife. 
uh, for good reason. And it says, good managers of their children and of their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And, and really, it's, it, the, the well, served well, is, is really sort of a, it's, it doesn't sound as great to me as a Greek word. Really, it says, who have served honorably, served excellently as deacons. Uh, the charge is to serve excellently as a deacon. Uh, not in a sense as I would take just well, but honorably. And it says, anyone who does that obtains for themselves a high standing. And that's even an emphasis in the Greek, a high standing, if you do it well. And great confidence in the faith. And, and really, it's, it's interesting about that. The great, word great there means many or numerous. And so it says great numbers of confidences, in, in a sense. And, and the confidence means a fearless confidence, a boldness. That we have, we have many boldnesses and fearless confidences when we have served honorably and excellently as a deacon in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And then I, I want to look at one more verse, and, and I'll, I'll finish my charge here. And it comes from John chapter 12, if you want to look at that. Now let me start this with saying, what does the word deacon mean? What is deacon? Well, it simply means servant. The way the scripture, you can decide what the basic word is in the Greek. There's a lot of back and forth about that exactly, but it's diakonos or something like that. I can't pronounce it, but I can sort of make it out. Um, and it means servant. It just means servant. Uh, it doesn't mean leader, even though we're called upon to, to lead as the servants of the church in some fashion. We are. We're, we're, we're servants. We're, we're followers. We're people who should want to help the poor, help the widows, uh, help in any capacity in the church, help uh, whatever we have to do to, to keep the church uh, safe and in the scripture, in God's word, worshiping. Uh, we're to follow the pastor. We're to be servants under him. He's the leader. We're the servants. Uh, we're to be the undergirders of him. We talked about that today, that we're to be lifting him up in prayer on a continual basis and supporting him in every way we can. Um, but in John 12, in verse 26, it says, if anyone serves me, and I looked that up just to make sure, but that word is the same word as deacon. It's, it's the very same word in Greek. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And that's a command. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. And where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And Brother Gary, if you want God to honor you, and I know you do, and if you want him to continue to honor you, follow Christ. Serve Christ. Be his servant. Let me tell you it like this. My pastor would say, my old pastor, my new pastor would probably say the same thing. Um, but he would say, if you serve the church because you love the people or you love the pastor, you will certainly be making a mistake. That sounds sort of strange, doesn't it? You should love the people and you should love the pastor. Well, he's not saying that. Yes, you should. But he said, if you serve it because you do, you'll be making a mistake. 
you serve the people because you love Jesus and you want to be his servant. And if you keep your eyes on him and his word and time spent with him in prayer, if you follow his commands, if you listen to his word and you obey it, and you do it because you love him, then when people disappoint us, it won't be such a big deal because I'm not following them, I'm following him. Follow Christ. And I said that to everyone in here. Follow Christ. Don't follow a person. Don't follow a group. Don't do it because you love them, because you'll be disappointed, but you love them because you follow him. You do that, and you'll never be disappointed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, George. This, uh, this is such a wonderful time when we get to, to do this. I'm always blessed to be a part. And, um, and I wonder if, is, if this hasn't happened already or crossed your mind. Uh, we, we obviously have a theme tonight of service. And, and are you serving? Are you serving? I want you to think about that as we look at a couple of things in God's Word. The, probably the passage that best defines the ministry of a deacon is one that uh, most scholars will point to and say, this is where deacons began. And you don't need to turn there. I just want to kind of rehash it very briefly. But in Acts chapter 6, it describes a moment in the early church, Jerusalem, where there was a problem in the church that was dividing it, a crisis, widows in a food distribution felt that they were being neglected, others were being favored. And they brought it to the apostles, the elders, the pastors of the church, to try to sort out the problem. And, and the men said, you know, if we do this, we're going to be distracted from the thing that we really need to give our time and our attention to. That sounds kind of harsh, but it shows you how important ministry of the Word and ministry of prayer ought to be to a pastor. And so they're not being insensitive because what was happening was threatening to divide the church as people took sides over this dispute, over this, this problem. What was the solution? Deacons. Deacons. Deacons were charged to maintain the church's unity and the pastor's sanity. And, um, and so when deacons deek well... They, they are healers of the church. They are the ones that don't create division, but they actually create healing and help the church remain whole and healthy and strong as the body of Christ. And that's the picture that we have from God's word of the ministry of a deacon. But I want to take it just a little bit further. I want to highlight another aspect of the ministry of the deacon. This morning, um, when George and I crossed paths, he grabbed me, he said, what text are you going to use tonight? And I said, don't worry about it, brother. You just use whatever text God lays on your heart. So he just used 1 Timothy 3. Guess which one I'm going to use? 1 Timothy 3. But I'm not going to read it again, and I'm not going to go word by word, uh, but I want to draw something out of this passage that I want you to be aware of. These are the qualifications, not only for a deacon, but earlier in the chapter of 1 Timothy 3, they're also the qualifications for a pastor. And uh, they are together, and they are, they are given together. There was a woman 
that wrote a letter to Reader's Digest several years ago, and she explained that her daughter was an army sergeant who was stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia. And uh, in the letter to Reader's Digest, the mother said that her daughter had called her during an intensive leadership course that required her to spend six weeks at a forest encampment under sparse conditions. And uh, the daughter told her mom, she said, Mom, I've met someone here I'd like to know better, but we aren't allowed to make up, so he has no idea what I really look like. (laughs) Now think about that. Well, this passage of Scripture is about what pastors and deacons really look like what they're supposed to be in their character. And uh, it is a Christ-like description, much as we've studied 1 Corinthians 13 as the character of Christ. So this passage of Scripture also is describing the character of Jesus. This is no more, no less than the character of Jesus. And what we're saying of our leaders is that we want them to be like Jesus. But I want to focus really on one word in verse 8. You have the qualifications for pastors given in the first seven verses. In the verses 8 through 13, you have the qualifications for a deacon that are given. And, and right in the middle of that, it's, it transitions from the qualifications for the pastor to the deacons this way. It says, likewise, deacons must be. In the same way as pastors are like Christ. So deacons are to be like Christ, likewise, in the same way, in the same manner. And so, have you noticed the similarities between the two sets of qualifications? I mean, there really are similarities between the two, between pastors and deacons. Now, have you ever wondered why? Why is it that pastors should be Christ-like and deacons should be Christ-like, and, and overall, they should be very similar in their character. What's the key function of a pastor? When we go to Ephesians 4, we read that pastors are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So pastors do ministry, but they're equipping, their ministry is they're equipping or helping the other members of the body to do ministry. They don't do all the ministry, but they help others to do that. And that's their key function. What's their number one method for that? Being an example, being a model of ministry. That's their primary method. In 1 Peter 5, verse 3, it talks about pastors not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And the Lord's primary way of teaching you and me something is by seeing the example in someone else. Parents are called to be examples to their children. Older women to teach younger women by example. Paul told Timothy to be an example to the flock. Even our evangelism is based on a witness, a testimony of a changed life that someone else can see. And in that way, I'm an example of the process of salvation. And, And so our testimony, our witness is to be that. The bottom line is this. When it comes to what the Lord wants to accomplish in the church, more things are caught than taught. More things are caught than taught. We do it by example. Now, we're all called to be servants. George brought that really well when he went to John chapter 12. He brought that out. That we were, the very word there for servant, to be a servant of Christ, is the word diakonos, which is the word deacon elsewhere. And this happens throughout the New Testament many, many times where 
Servants are described, people who serve God or serve Christ. And it's the same word for deacon, and you have to really just see by context whether they're talking about the office of deacon or what you and I do when we serve. So it's a common use of the word, and it means servant. So what do deacons do? If their primary function is service, what's their primary method? Setting an example of service. And our deacons do that. Uh, There's not a man that serves among the deacons who's in the deacon body who is not actively serving somewhere else in the life of the church. If a guy is a Sunday school teacher and he's a deacon, he is the example of service as a Sunday school teacher. He may not be the best teacher, but in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of excitement, in terms of participation, in terms of dedication, in terms of preparation, he is a model Sunday school teacher. If a deacon's in the choir, he's a model choir member, so much so that other choir members can look at him and say, oh, that's what it means to be a good choir member. And so deacons, wherever they are, they serve just like the rest of us. But they are called to be this Christ-like example and model of what it means to serve. And I'm happy tonight to tell you that we've got one of the neatest servants before us in Gary Coons. This guy serves. He runs circles around so many of us when it comes to service. He's a servant of the Lord Jesus, and he's a servant of us, uh, his family at Wynn Baptist Church. And so I am delighted that you and I have the opportunity tonight to do this for him. I've said this before in the past, and we've ordained deacons, but I want to say it again this evening. Church, receive the ministry of this man. Hear him when he speaks to you. Help him as he serves among you. Pray for him as he steps into the challenges that are coming. The enemy is always at work to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. But we have some godly men called deacons, and now we have Gary Coons among them. Amen? I'm going to ask at this time, I'm going to give a couple sets of instructions. And so those of you who are ordained men, I'm going to ask you in just a moment, just, just don't do it yet, but in just a moment, I'm going to ask the ordained men of the church to come and line up over here to my left on the organ side. And uh, Dr. Connor will, will send you out to uh, lay hands and to pray on Gary in just a moment. Um, uh, women, uh, ladies, uh, I'm going to ask uh, Sharon Kuntz in just a moment, Gary's wife. We have a chair set up over here for her. And I'm going to ask you all to pull that chair out a little bit. All you women can have a seat on that pew. But if you would, take turns, two by two or three by three or whatever, and just pray for her. You know, did you notice that when George read the qualifications for deacon, it had qualifications for the deacon's wives? Did you notice that? It's a rare moment in Scripture, but it's there. And so we want to pray for Sharon Kuntz tonight. And so I'm going to ask the wives of the deacons, uh, the wives of any ordained persons present, I'm going to invite you to come uh, when we get ready to do this and Sharon's up here, to come sit on this this pew over here on the piano side and take turns, two by two, three by three, uh, and pray for her, okay? Uh, Dr. Connor, I'm going to ask you to come and put a chair up here. Uh, Gentlemen, you can go ahead and begin lining up over here to my left. And then Sharon, if you would, if you would come and take a seat in this chair up here to my right. We've got it set up for you.
There you go. All right, and ladies, uh, spouses of ordained persons in the church, if you will come and sit on this first pew, and then you can begin taking turns praying for her in just a moment. I'm going to start us off. Isn't this cool? Uh, Everyone, I invite you to be prayerful. Pray for Gary. Pray for Sharon as uh, we walk through this exercise. Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to come back and close us at the very end. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Gary Coons. Father, we are, we are privileged to count him as our brother in Christ. We thank you for him, and we look forward to the ministry that is only going to grow and expand as he continues to serve among us. We pray for Sharon, and his wife, and that together you would use them in a, in a mighty way at Wynn Baptist Church. Father, as we ordain him tonight, we lay hands on him, pray for him, and as our women pray for Sharon, we ask you, Almighty God, that your Holy Spirit would fill both of them and, um, and that you would uh, speak to them and that they would hear words of encouragement as others pray for them. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We can begin.
And all God's people said, Amen. 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 We praise the Lord. Would you join me in praising the Lord for what God's done in Gary and Sharon's life tonight? <laughs>